this is gonna be the best book you ever read. Like, this is your new favorite book. Off the internet, man. I need to go be introverted. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> hey, friends. Welcome to another episode of Books in the City. I'm Becky. I'm Kayla. I'm Libby. I'm Emily. Yay. <laughs> um, last week, we forgot to tell everybody that it was our 50th episode. So oh, yeah. we're going to celebrate today. It's our 51th. We <laughs> turned 51. We love a milestone. We're officially over the hill. So wild. Um, so send us golf tees if you want. Oh, yeah. Becky would love that. <laughs> yeah, send, direct those to Becky. No, I don't golf. Golf, I can't. I get very upset. But I feel like it's such a dad thing. Like mini golf, high stress. Oh, I golf. You golf? Yeah. Wow. I actually can see that. I was on the golf team in high school. Wild. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> I will Fun say fact. I do like the outfits, the golf outfits for sure. I feel like we, us four, would have a lot of fun if we went to like a golf course and did a round. No, it would be fun. No. Yes. I think it, it would not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm too we'll... competitive. I would like fail because I don't, that's not a sport I'm good at. And I don't play sports I can't win. So. <laughs> oh. oh what? I just get really stressed out and upset when my ball does not go in the hole and it does not ever go in the hole. So the whole time I'm mad. Wow. So I take it back. <laughs> we don't have to golf together. I could I could man the uh, cart, though, for everybody. That's more what I meant, like driving around in our little Emily is not driving us. Cart. Someone else will drive oh the golf cart. Not a licensed driver. <laughs> this episode is getting very geriatric. We're like, oh, let's drive around in a golf cart only. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsored by... What's the yogurt that Jamie Lee Curtis is... Yo Activia. 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 I was going to say Yo Play. So anyway, uh, thanks for joining us on episode 51. Quick announcement about a very exciting little initiative theme kind of thing that we have coming up in April. We are excited to introduce our Month of Creators interview series where we are just talking with some fellow bookish internet personalities some you may know some you may not but who you're definitely going to want to know stay tuned for that but if you've been watching our stories you might have seen some of those appearances so we've had a lot of fun interviewing some wonderful book internet people and we hope you enjoy it in april yeah so get excited they're gonna be popping on for our little intros so emily i think uh the fishbowl is gonna take a little break and they can go on vacation spring cleaning oh. clean the tank nice spring break the sun is shining the tank is clean <laughs> catch the finding nemo reference this would have been a great segue into the fishbowl but we have something else to say <laughs> yeah but we have one more thing one more announcement <laughs> okay so april's a busy month for us because we're also picking back up with our monthly book club that we took a month off of <laughs> classic um but we had to like get our shit together a little bit so we are reading bear town in our fan club book club the first discussion is april 11th so there's still a bit of time to grab your book start reading i'm rereading it along with you guys i already started and i'm actually enjoying reading it a second time around i feel like i'm picking up on new things so we can't wait to chat with you about that so anyway, about that fishbowl. <laughs> yeah, circling back to that squeaky clean tank. 
this one comes from Bruce from Finding Nemo. <laughs> Clever. We got a shark in there. <laughs> a shark. But yeah, fish are friends, friends, not food. So True. it's all good. That should be our slogan, fish are friends. <laughs> I don't know that I want Disney, Pixar. No, we don't say the whole us. quote, so it's fine. Fish okay. are friends. Period. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What are your favorite pizza toppings? Mm, interesting question. This should tell us a lot about each other. I can go straight out the gate because I have a, a favorite that I always go to. I always go for a margarita pizza, Ooh. which is really just like big, thick slices of mozzarella and tomato and um, basil, like wilty basil. That sounds good. That's such a classic. I will say I'm not a big meat eater, but I'm too indecisive to like commit to vegetarianism. So <laughs> I don't really go for any of like the meat toppings on my pizzas. What about you, Libby? Uh, okay, so it used to be pepperoni and jalapeno. Oh. But I visited Maine and we stayed on this like farm thing this past fall and I met three pigs and I fell really in love with them and I don't eat pig. Oh, no. I don't eat pork anymore. Oh, wow. Since then. So um, now it is jalapenos and mushrooms. Ooh. Ooh. And like, nice. you know, cheese, red pepper flakes, like the usual. <laughs> okay, so I'm shockingly not a big pizza person. For like a lot of my life, I didn't like regular pizza. I prefer Sicilian always because I like like fluffy, thick crust or like the dough. Wait, what is Sicilian? I don't fluffy, even... Fluffy crust. Do you guys not know what Sicilian is? It's like cut in a square and it's like thick. It's like, it's still like sauce and cheese, but it, the dough is like different. Oh. Is that not like a thing everywhere? I don't know that I would have categorized it as Sicilian. I know like Midwest pizza, like Detroit pizza is in a square, but Detroit pizza is the sauce is on top of the cheese. Okay. So I guess this is a New York thing, but a Sicilian slice, it's like they make Sicilian pies also. And it's like the thicker, it it will be like an inch thick, the dough, and then just like normal sauce and cheese on top oh never mind i was thinking of maybe like a neapolitan i can't believe that you don't know that wow okay i guess that's like a new york thing um but if i had to choose toppings i like meatball or chicken bacon ranch wow yeah it's so good when you're like after a night out chicken bacon (laughs) ranch slice so good wow i would be remiss if i didn't mention that the classic chicago's like toppings for just a regular slice of the sub would be like sausage, green pepper, onion, mushroom. So I've been, or black olives as well. That's like an everything pizza. Mm-hmm. And I simply will not brook any arguments over the merits of Chicago style deep dish. I will not let <laughs> as people if come we were for all that. Challenging you. <laughs> Let's start a fight with throwing it out there. I love. Don't come to me in the comments and say that it's a casserole because I can't. We've heard your interviews with Chicago authors. We've heard it. Yeah, yeah, we know. I don't really like pizza much at all. Okay, well, follow up question: Are you human? We used to when we recorded in person, we would all eat pizza. That's true. Did you hate every minute of it? (laughs) I was hungry, unhappy. I this is I I agree. That's why I don't love pizza because I got hungry again ten minutes later. Oh, that's not what I meant. No. I just meant like I ate it because I was hungry and it was the food that was there. 
Um, wow. um so but yeah, I, I'm not like big on bread. I don't like bread very much. And so I think that's why I don't know. Pizza's just not my favorite. Also, when I was a kid, I got like the stomach flu and then went to a birthday party. I didn't know I had the stomach flu. I ate pizza and I was throwing That'll up all it. night. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. one of those slumber parties where you're dropped off and you're like it's a fam like a family friend slumber party and your parents are off like having like a like a romantic night or whatever so I couldn't go home so I was just like sick I didn't eat pizza for 10 years after that oh my god oh damn yeah that's scarring yeah so I just have never recovered I guess (laughs) but I do like white pizza if I had to like choose so that's like alfredo sauce instead of marinara sauce on the slice right yeah yeah and then second I guess if if that wasn't available, I like Detroit style with some oh, hot honey. Same. Oh, not the hot honey, but Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. Who's hungry now? Apparently not you or Kayla. Not me. <laughs> no, I'm still hungry after eating pizza. Yeah. <laughs> Can I go Ten get a later? slice now? Should we talk about books? Yes. Let's do it. I'm done with this pizza talk. <laughs> Just kidding. So I'm talking about The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna, which came out in February 2018. And I know a lot of people have already read this book. So I know I'm probably not convincing many people. I got a lot of DMs when I posted that I was listening to this audiobook about how great the book is. So I know a lot of you have heard it, heard it, read it. So um, but if you haven't, here's a little summary. This book is going to tear your heart out and leave it in a thousand pieces So with that being said, there's definitely some content warnings. The first one that I really want to stress is death of a parent, and I can't stress that enough. Also, PTSD, alcoholism, abuse. This book is very much about abuse, so know that going in. And I am going to mention it a little bit, so if you want to skip ahead, check out the show notes for the timestamps. And then gun violence. So with those out of the way, if you're still with me, this book is about Lenny Albright and her parents, Cora and Ernst. So just to set the scene, it takes place in the 70s, and the book opens in the Seattle area. You meet Lenny and her family, and Lenny's dad, Ernst, was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. And ever since he came back, he's been a changed man. Her dad couldn't hold a job. He gets really angry really easily. And most of all, he wakes up with horrible nightmares from the PTSD. He doesn't know where he is, um, that sort of thing. So... Lenny's gotten used to her dad having some kind of big solution to their problems, and it usually involves them moving around. So she's used to being the new kid in school and her dad coming home and being like, oh, well, I lost my job again and like blaming the company and that kind of thing. So because of this, Lenny doesn't have friends, really. And her best friend is her mom because they move around so much. She doesn't get a chance to really make friends. And she's kind of defaulted to this like quiet girl in school. So one day, Lenny's dad gets this letter from the father of his war buddy. And this war buddy had died in Vietnam and was like her dad's best friend there. It turns out that he left her father a piece of land and a cabin in a really rural and secluded part of Alaska where there's like no electricity and everyone lives off the land. And Lenny's dad finds this as like this big huge solution to their problems and that getting away from the world the rest of the world and living off the land and being self-sufficient hunting for food and you know not not having all of the other things that the rest of the world has this will make his nightmares go away and solve the no job issue and just solve all their problems 
So the family packs up a VW bus and starts to drive through Canada and up to Alaska. And when they get there, they meet the very few people that live in the town of Connick. And they keep this group of people keep the town running. Like they have um, a little general store and you can barter and stuff like that. So there's Tom Walker, whose family settled the land of this in this town years and years ago. So the Harlans, they're this big family uh, of the man who's who left the land to Lenny's family. Um, and then there's Large Marge, who is a for- former lawyer who left it all behind to come and run the general store in Alaska. And so they get there. They meet everybody. Her dad's like, OK, let's get to our house and like just start living. And after talking to the locals, they realize very quickly this and after seeing the cabin and seeing that it's like literally layers of dead bugs on the floor, they're like, oh, we're not prepared for this. And like one of the things about living in Alaska, especially this part, is that like they have to spend the whole summer preparing, bartering, hunting, smoking meat, all of that to store up for what they need for the long winter. And if you don't know, in Alaska, in the winter it's dark for most of the day so you can't really go out and do the hunting and stuff like that in the winter so they have to prepare and they're like what did we get ourselves into basically they realize their vw bus is not equipped for all of it getting around alaska driving in these like harsh winter roads they're like what were we thinking so they get to learning how to be alaskan and in the process they learn that the problem's are not at all solved by moving there. And if anything, it's made much worse. The harsh long winters and the darkness in Alaska are enough to like make the most mentally stable person go mad. So the effect it has on Lenny's dad, who's struggling with PTSD and all of all of the things that he's struggling with, it's the opposite of good. And he begins spending a lot of time with Matt Earl, who is somebody I forgot to mention when I mentioned the town. Matt Earl is the father of the guy who left the land to the family. So I hate to even ask why he's going by Matt Earl. (laughs) You'll have to read it. But he gets more convicted of his conspiracies and his like kind of wild ideas get, you know, traction in his brain and he gets angrier and angrier and it comes very graphically clear that he's violently abusing Lenny's mom and this becomes like this is like a main plot point of the book is his abuse and the fact that Lenny's mom has to hide it and that Lenny has to hide it meanwhile Lenny is settling into this new life she made her first ever friend this boy named Matthew Walker who is Tom Walker's son He's the only kid in, in town and in her school that's her age, and they're fast friends, and the rest is history, if you know what I mean, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about the plot. I feel like I said a lot, but there's so much more that happens in this book. Wait, sorry, how old is Lenny? Um, It kind of takes place over the course of her whole life, but when she first moves there, she's young. Like, like middle school or younger? Uh, yeah, I would say like maybe three. I think she's 14 or 15 now that I'm thinking about it. I think, yeah, because then it like there's that time when they first move and then it kind of fast forwards to her being 17. Um, And the bulk of the book happens between 17 and 18. But yeah, it's heartbreaking and it's beautiful. And I thought it was so good. And I keep like I'll be like doing yoga or working out. And then I'm thinking about Lenny and I'm thinking about Matthew Walker. And it's like really sticking with me. I listen to this book 
and I was working while I was listening to it and I cried so much and so hard that that I think my com- my work computer has water damage like oh my from my tears. <laughs> oh no. I mean I'm being a little dramatic but yeah. Was this your first Chris and Hannah? It was my first. Th- yeah. This one was my first too and I feel like that's a it's a very good this is what she does first to one. you every time you read yeah. her books. Oh, it killed me. I will note it was a little soap opera-y at times with like the things that happened, but I was fully on board for it by the time that the things got soap opera-y. Like I wasn't like, oh, that's corny or anything like that because I was like so emotionally invested in the characters. So that's not a criticism. It's just something to note. And then last thing I'll say, I don't usually like to say anything negative about books that I'm talking about because typically I don't have anything negative to say about them. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about them. But... I do want to mention one critique about this book, and that's Large Marge. I loved the character of Large Marge and all the characters, really, except for Lenny's dad. But I think way too much time was spent on talking about how large and black Large Marge was. Um, It felt very ick and like a caricature of a Mm. black woman to me and very tokenized and weird and Marge is really awesome like she's a really great character and really important character in the book but I think she would have still been great had the focus not been on how big and loud she is it's just it felt so weird listening and hearing those descriptions but overall I really loved this book I thought it was so so great like I said first Kristen Hannah and I definitely want to pick up more but I really have to prepare myself for it (laughs) after the emotional ride that this was but it's five stars for me okay is Kristen hannah firefly lane too yeah the nightingale okay. she just had one come out the four ones and what was this one called again this was the great alone by Kristen hannah and i actually got to go to alaska a few years ago and so that was really fun to read this and hear the descriptions of like the places and have not at all the same kind of place because they're in a much more rural place than I went but talking about these towns where there's only like 15 locals but during the tourist season like hundreds of people come in and I got to visit some of those towns where like the tour guides would be like oh yeah there's only 10 of us that live here and in the winter there's only 10 of us here that's so Um, wild so that was cool to be able to kind of connect to that so yeah the great alone (laughs) the great alone yeah for sure but Obviously, you can read this book if you've never been to Alaska. <laughs> you don't have to go there first. It was a fun thing. <laughs> it was just a fun connection. Kayla, what did you read? I read The Women of Chateau Lafayette by Stephanie Dry. Thank you, Random House, for my copy. Okay, this book. I learned so much from this book and went in like a spiral of research after I always look things up after I read historical fiction but this one it was just like rabbit hole of fascinating things and I always say like I love learning about like badass women through historical fiction but I feel I felt like with this one I did like learn about amazing women but I felt like I was learning like just general history like a new part of it that I like have just never like focused on before so This book tells the real story of Chateau Lafayette in France, which is the home, was the home of the Marquis de Lafayette. And I wrote my notes, the one from Hamilton, LOL. But the guy who like came over and like helped the American Revolution. And then he was a big part of the French Revolution. I'm going to get into it. But I was shocked when I was reading it. Like 
I remember hearing who Lafayette was for the first time in college. And it's interesting because as a New Yorker, Lafayette is everywhere. Like Broadway Lafayette, like is a subway station. Like, and I just never knew really what it was. So this was a really cool way to learn more about who the Marquis de Lafayette was, but um, more importantly, his wife, who I think was like cooler and more of a badass than him, but we're going to get to that. Um, So this book has three heroines and they each have their own timeline. So chronologically, the first is Adrian, who is the wife of Gilbert Lafayette, who is the famous Lafayette. Um, So in her timeline, you're learning about Lafayette's early years. He was kind of like, he lived up at this chateau, like up in France. And she's from a very notable family in Paris with like a lot of influence in politics. And it's like an arranged marriage, but it actually turned into turned out to be like this great love match also. And you learn his early years. And then when he goes over to America, she was alone with their baby, like in Paris for years while he was helping America win independence. But then when he comes back, like the French Revolution starts and that was so interesting because she like had a place at court and she was friends with Marie Antoinette and that like completely like their lives changed so much during that she was in jail for years like she was just so so fascinating and just like so cool and so badass and when you learn the story of Lafayette like you don't learn about her so I love that this book kind of like brought her out from her husband's shadow then we're going forward hundreds of years where in World War One with Beatrice, she Beatrice is also a real woman. She is an American socialite who kind of has a rags to riches story. And she married an Aster, which is like casual for a girl who grew up with like literally nothing. And she's probably one of the most fascinating women I've ever read about. Like I was shocked when I found out she was real because some of the things were just like, who is this person? Like she did so many cool things. So at this time, America wasn't in the war yet, and I forgot who the president was at the time, but he didn't want he didn't want to join the war. And she's a huge like wait of the French Revolution? No, no of America. <laughs> was it Wilson? Um, so at this time America wasn't in the war in World War One, and she's a huge Francophile. Wilson. Okay, Wilson <laughs> didn't want to join the war. She's casually friends with like Teddy Roosevelt and she's like doing everything she can to she's helping french troops literally on her own so she's trying to also like sway public opinion to get wilson to end up joining the war and she founds an orphanage at chateau lafayette the one where adrian and the marquis lived i i can't even that's just literally scratching the surface with this woman like her work was so cool she was so cool her husband kind of sucked he was like a rough rider with teddy roosevelt and like just like such an interesting person also and she has an affair with a French soldier and like just so fascinating so then for the last timeline the main character is Marth and we're in Nazi occupied France during World War II and Marth is the only one that's not real but she's a composite of women who were actually living and working at Chateau Lafayette at this time so Marth grew up in the orphanage at the Chateau and is now a teacher there and at the same time as she's living in Nazi-occupied France, she's kind of all of a sudden, like, the first, like, thread of the mystery of who she really is, like, starts unraveling. So there's a lot going on with her. It was interesting because I've—it was very different from other stories I've read that take place, like, 
in France when the Nazis were in charge. Like I was almost like confused at first, but it was just like such a different take on it, which I think is really cool because sometimes these World War II stories get like a bit repetitive. But since Beatrice's and Marth's timelines were so close, like Beatrice is in Marth's timeline. So that was fun. And like sometimes it did feel like Adrian was completely separate, but her presence even hundreds of years later is like still like felt in the chateau so like they all it felt like three separate books sometimes but then they would all like pop up in each other's in a way and like everything is linked through the chateau and through Lafayette's legacy of like friendship between America and France so that's all I'm gonna say for plot but I thought it was like such a cool way to learn I loved the way the stories like casually tied together all three women were so strong so amazing I loved getting to like learn about these two real like amazing women Adrian and Beatrice I did give it four stars though because (laughs) so because I was like why is this a five-star read it's like everything I love but it's about 600 pages and in the middle and like a few other points I was like okay this is like it feels like so much because it it's like three separate like strong stories like they could each be a book on their own it's like the links really brought them all together but then when I finished it I was like but I want more <laughs> like even though in the middle of it I was like when is this when are we Wait, gonna so get you somewhere? docked a star because you liked it so much there wasn't enough I docked a star whenever I'm like like where are we going like it drags I dock a star okay. so because I had to do that but then at the end I was like oh like I loved it. Like, I want more of these characters. So that was, like, a wild ride. Um, But I just do want to note that this book had the longest, most fascinating author's note I have ever read. Her research process for this was so interesting. She worked with Beatrice's actual grandson, and they ended up, like, finding out things through, like, 23andMe type stuff that, like, his family never even knew and and it's like incorporated in this book and she even like it was 600 pages and she starts talking about things that like she had to cut out for sake like there's just so much to this so I think honestly if you're interested in like revolutionary period or either of the world wars like there is stuff here for each of those historic time periods and yeah it, it gets a bit slow but it's so good at the end and what was that? That was The Women of Chateau Lafayette by Stephanie Dre. Emily, what did you read? Okay, I read a book called Gachar Gochar by Vivek Shanbhag, which was published in 2013 in its original language, but was translated in 2017 um, from Kannada by uh, Srinath Perar. And it's a very short book, but it's like one of those that packs a punch. And uh, those are kind of like my sweet spot. Uh, Shouts to my roommate, Eliana, for recommending this book to me, putting on my radar and letting me borrow her copy. And this was like one of those selections that was on the front table at one of our neighborhood bookstores that we like a lot called Book Culture. And this is kind of like what I mean A book that wouldn't necessarily be on my radar, but I'm glad I picked up. So because it's so, like, short, I don't want to give, like, too, too much away, because the plot kind of, it's it's a book where you kind of have to, like, read between the lines, to be honest, for the ending to, like, not take you by surprise. 
So it's kind of a slow build. But we open up on our main character, who I'm pretty sure never we never get his name. But, you know, he, like, hangs out in this coffee house all the time um, in the place where he lives in Bangalore, India. So this is, like, another thing. I don't often read books that are set, particularly in, like, southern India. You usually get, like, the northern perspective. So it was kind of cool trait about this. And you just get him sitting there drinking his coffee, talking to the waiters, and you're like... At first, I got, like, before the coffee gets cold vibes, but then you kind of realize, like, more about his life and his nuclear family and the story behind their living circumstances. So he grew up basically in poverty with a, like, one-room home with his father, his uncle, his sister, and his mom. And I don't know if, like, any of you have, watched any like Bollywood movies or anything but um or if you have any like cultural competency about the like nuclear family life and hierarchy of like a Southeast Asian home but I think having a background in that is like kind of helpful into contextualizing the relationships that he touches on in this book but basically it's like the dad is going to work as a salesman like all day every day they're pinching pennies not getting a lot of benefits, like rationing gas, um, working really hard. The kids are going to school and like doing really well. And then all of a sudden the father is like laid off and you're not sure why. It's just kind of like cruel capitalism. It was a big deal because they had already stretched their money so thin that um, they're kind of living like paycheck to paycheck. And then the uncle was saying, like, you know, I've been working at this spice company for a while. I'm pretty sure I know how it runs. And we should open up our own spice trade where we buy, like, essentially like a Costco situation is how I pictured it. They, like, bought spices in bulk, bagged them up, and, like, sold them on the street. So the family comes into a lot of wealth that way um, and makes, like, a huge profit off of, that new business dealing and uh, like everything else this kind of shifts the dynamic in the home so like instead of the father being the main breadwinner it's the uncle now and this new wealth has each character dealing with life kind of like differently we get insight into the marriages that he and his sister have and the main character had a arranged marriage and that kind of comes up and basically what I liked about reading this story is it was told kind of like with a nostalgic lens like I'm living in the present now I'm like essentially hiding away from my house because of some tensions like some weird dynamics and as you move forward in the story the layers are kind of like peeled back onto particular moments where like they're upbringing from being a hard-working family into this new money situation changed like the way that they interact with each other the ending is like pretty wild I guess so you kind of have to like if you're not paying attention to all the little hints and nuggets that are like dropped along the way all of a sudden it feels like whoa the drama (laughs) but 
it's a really well told story. I think on the surface, it feels kind of simple. But like when you peel back all the layers, it's fairly complex. And I do like when authors leave their reader to like interpret things rather than just expressing it outright on the page. You know, like it's up to you to kind of read between the lines and figure out like what's going on with the sister and with the brother and the uncle. And like the main character isn't going to come right out and say how he feels about some members of his family that kind of like outrank him because basically everyone in the home answers to the main breadwinner who's usually a man the mom has very little power in her home outside of like the kitchen and the domestic life situation so like preparing the food and cleaning and everything and when you're like a sister or a brother or you marry into this situation there's all kinds of like different ways that that'll the power rankings come into play, but this book kind of like goes into the details of the organization of a Southeast Asian home and like what happens when money is thrown into the mix to uproot those those organizational values. And then the title is kind of interesting too because it's a nonsense phrase that means something important to the characters. The implication of it is basically like when things get entangled or tied up, they get like a char go char. So uh, I think that's a really good metaphor for like the way that things go down in this book. They become this nonsense phrase of char go char. So I really liked it. I would say it's like a four and a half star read. It's definitely like a read in an afternoon kind of book. Is it set uh, in present day? Sorry, did you say this? I think so. Yeah, I didn't get the sense that it was. That sounds good. Like the past. Nice. And um, what was this book? Gachar Gochar. Oh, the last <laughs> thing I want to say is like, for no particular reason, I got like succession vibes off yeah. it. Oh. <laughs> like. Not really, like, really strong. I, it's not, like, the Fox Newsy situation of it, but it's just kind of, like, what happens when money's involved in family. Who's the author? Uh, Vivek Schoenberg. A lot of Viveks for me this year. I was just going to say. say. <laughs> uh, having a Vivek year. Libby, what did you read? Okay, I read The Falling in Love Montage by Kiara Smith. Um, this came out in June 2020. So it's a YA, a queer YA story that tells the story of 17-year-old Sersha. Sorry, I had to pause. In the book, so I'm going all over the place already, but the narrator of the book is Sersha, this character, and she's very funny. She kind of like breaks the fourth wall a little bit throughout and like... She's just like a funny teen and I like wanted to be her friend, but she makes a big thing about Sersha Ronan and she's like, if she could stop telling people the wrong way to pronounce my name, that would be great. Thanks. But so it's Sersha, (laughs) apparently. Anyway, so Sersha is 17 years old. She lives in Ireland and a little aside, I listened to this audiobook and it was an Irish narrator and... I really enjoyed. Oh, nice. Yeah, I I did like a hybrid. Are we talking like northern or southern? Like what part of Ireland? I don't know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's not dairy. <laughs> it's not the dairy like girl's Dublin? accent. Yeah, it's probably Dublin. <laughs> but but she doesn't live in Dublin, I don't think. Uh, 
wise up jenny yeah i I wish i could i'm not gonna even try and do an impression because it's it's not gonna go well but it was a really fun listen just because you know you get like the full irish uh narrator experience which i appreciated so Sersha, like I mentioned, she's 17. And when the book starts, she's kind of anxiously awaiting her exam results, which will basically tell her if she can get into Oxford or not. She wants to go to university at Oxford, kind of. Then as the book goes on, you realize she has some reservations about leaving Ireland, but I'll get into that a little later. And she basically has decided that she's going to avoid forming any meaningful romantic connections after her first really bad breakup with the only girl she's ever loved. So she basically has committed to like getting drunk at parties and kissing straight girls, which is problematic in its own right. But she's like, it's easier for everyone. They're not going to get invested. I'm not going to get invested. It's perfect. So she's kind of like a little fuck boy. I'm like, <laughs> but you know like she's that I'm type of character but until one night after exams there's a big party to celebrate you know exams being over and she goes and it's at her kind of frenemy's house she's like got this like fake friendship enemy relationship with this guy in her class and his cousin ruby is at the party and it turns out ruby is staying with the family all summer And so she's like new in Ireland. She's from, I think, London or somewhere in England. And Sersha and Ruby kind of hit it off at this party. But Sersha's pretty upfront about like, screw romance. It's not real. It's not for me. No. And Ruby is sort of the opposite. Like she's a big romantic. She's kind of a sucker for like rom-coms. And she loves all the cheesy like parts of every romance movie and stuff like that so she proposes the idea to Sersha to have a falling in love montage so they're gonna narrow down all of the montage scenes from rom-coms and like it'll be a no strings attached just do the fun parts of the falling in love thing over the summer and then they'll go their separate ways and it'll be Clean tie, even break, beautiful. Nothing could go wrong. Oh, I'm sure. I cannot <laughs> keep track. Is that like I'm just picturing them editing movies, or they just want to do recreate all so those scenes? There's a list. Yeah, life. so like Ruby starts a list, and it includes like every romantic comedy has a a karaoke scene where they go and they're they have reservations about like doing oh, a karaoke see, song but then they do a love song and it's beautiful and you know whatever like that kind of thing there's always a carnival scene in like rom-coms so they're like so it's kind of a fake relationship sort trail? of a fake relationship and Sersha has another reason for kind of wanting to keep everyone at arm's length which is that her mom suffers from early onset dementia And there's a risk. Basically, her family life is kind of like revolving around like her mom being put in a home and like her dad trying to kind of move on and and Sersha like trying to process the fact that she's at a higher risk for early onset dementia as well. And like coping with her mom kind of forgetting 
who she is sometimes. So it like definitely deals with a way heavier side of, you know, why somebody would want to avoid romantic attachments, which I appreciated. Like I said, Sarah, she's like very funny, pretty irreverent. So you get a really good mix of like, you know, her cynicism about romance and then also the very real reasons she like doesn't want the falling in love montage to end in falling in love. You know, obviously, that is like the inevitable end of every montage. So there's, of course, the two are going to run into some issues, um, which I won't, you know, get too into. What I did really appreciate about this book is Ruby, like I said, is like obsessed rom-coms. And she kind of, her and Sarah Show, one of their earlier conversations is about like queer movies, like mostly always end in tragedy. What is that about? So it's cool because they use the summer to recreate these tropes that are typically like a man and a woman. But then I don't know. I just think that's like cool because I I think their opinion on like queer movies only ending in tragedy is not like just them. So to see like two girls recreating all of these typically straight romance scenes would probably be pretty cool to see, I think, if you were like a teen, but also just like in general. I gave it four stars. I kind of already mentioned she's like, you know, Sarah's really invested in like keeping everyone at a distance. And like part of that is her sort of like insecurity or inherent mistrust of getting close to anyone because she's like, what's the point if I'm just going to forget them when I, you know, suffer from the same thing that my mom's going through? So it had that normally that element of like willful miscommunication or you know like when the source of the tension in a book is just that they're not communicating like that sometimes bothers me but I think in this case it makes a little more sense to me because it makes sense that she's like just kind of a scared girl and like it was a lot to process like her fears about like the same thing happening to her that that's happening to her mom so yeah so the trope didn't bother me as much in this book but just yeah, something to be aware of there is like that miscommunication element in this book but yeah I gave it four stars I really really liked Sersha as a narrator she's so funny and just kind of like a little shit but you're just like oh, I'm rooting for you so hard like even though you're your own worst enemy and you just kind of want to shake her and I really liked how things resolved with her and Ruby and her romantic future and without obviously getting into spoilers I thought it was a a very satisfying ending. And this author has another book coming out in May, which I'm definitely going to read called Not My Problem, I think. It was a good one. That sounds so cute. Yeah, it's really cute. It's sweet, but not like cheesy or too cheesy. Or like it's being, it's like poking fun at its own cheesiness, kind of. It was just good. Oh, I like that. That's cute. Yeah. That was the Falling in Love montage by Kiara Smith. And what's up next for you? Uh, I'm going to read The Hole by Hai Young Pyun, which is a Korean horror novel, kind of. Ooh. Yeah. Uh-oh. I might be into that. Emily, what's up next for you? Oh, I want to read Ray Bearer by Jordan of Hueco because Nicole from the podcast sent me her, like, paperback copy that has... It's so pretty. Really beautiful illustration on the front and... She said I could have it for free as long <laughs> as I read it. So I have that too. Have we to. should do a, a group read. Buddy read. I think there's a sequel coming out to that book in the works. I don't know when, but 
Uh, Kayla, what are you reading? Okay, next? I wrote a book down like I always do, but I'm switching it up because the second we're done oh. recording this, I'm going to start The Ladies of the Secret Cir- Circus by Constance Sayers. And I'm Woo-hoo. so Yay. excited to just like get lost in that world for the rest of tonight. So fun. Becky? I'm going to read Loathe at First Sight by Suzanne Park. I've heard Ooh. good things about that. Is it a hate to love? Maybe. <laughs> Sounds I like wonder. it. Loathe to love. <laughs> Libby, where, where are you on the internet? Uh, I'm at sleep, run, read, repeat. Uh, Emily? I'm at the Lazy Library, Becky. I'm at Becky in the Bookshelves. I'm at K Red Butt, and you can find all of us at Books in the City Pod. Make sure you're using our hashtag, My Books in the City. Follow, subscribe, whatever you have to do on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Join in on the book club fun at our Patreon fan club or just general fun over there. And if you're still here, comment your favorite pizza topping on the Instagram episode card. And if you can do it in emojis, oh, yeah, that's even yeah. better. Thank you to our Carrie Level producers, Diane Worth, Riley Harrell, Carrie Kissinger, Brenna Collins, Amanda Borgia, Elizabeth Jamka, and Susie Southwick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>